Well, are you ready to get into the Word of God this morning? I love the Word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, I'm going to begin reading there in it, uh, out of the King James Bible. This is Paul talking to his spiritual son in the faith, and he says, But continue thou in the things which you have learned and has been assured of. In other words, doing something once isn't enough. Many times Christians, they give up too soon. They say, well, I tried that and it didn't work. No, the Apostle Paul said, continue in the things that you have learned and have been assured of. Why do we have encouragement to continue doing the things we were taught to do even when we don't see fruit, even when we don't see results? What is it that motivates us to do what the Word of God teaches us to do? It says, um, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, which able to make eyes unto salvation. See, did you know you, you might be saved and you're not very wise about it? I said you could be saved and not be wise unto salvation. Isn't that what it says there? I mean, there's growth that needs to take place. Thank God you don't have to know much to get saved. I mean, aren't you just happy that all you have to do is hear that you, uh, to learn you need saved and to know that there is a Savior and His name's Jesus. And if you just call on His name, Romans 10, 13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't have to know Greek. I don't have to know Hebrew. I don't have to have John 3.16 memorized. Come on. I don't have to know what all the Bible teaches about creation, whether or not it was a big boom or whether or not it was creation. Or, you know, uh, I don't have to know all those things, do I, to get saved. All I got to know is I need, I, I need a Savior and Jesus is that Savior and then I receive his salvation. I call on his name. I receive the salvation. And now there is a process called discipleship. And that's how you get wise unto salvation. Amen. Amen. And so he said, from a child, you have known the holy scriptures. Now, if you have a pen, I encourage you either underline or circle that word holy. If you have a highlighter, go ahead and highlight it. But then go ahead and underline that word, too, and circle it. <laughs> so you won't be like, why? Why did I highlight that? How many ever looked at that in your Bible? you like, why did I highlight that? Well, there was something you was getting at it at the end that you needed, you know. Um, but he, he doesn't just say the scriptures. He says the holy scriptures. In other words, the Bible is not a common book. And I'm going to talk to you this morning about treating the Word of God like a common book. Or really, you could say, why you shouldn't treat the Word of God like a common book. Because this is a holy book. Amen. These are holy scriptures. And um, the way the Lord said it to me um, a few years back was, the Bible is the only book you can read from cover to cover and still not be finished with it. Amen. There is no desire to reread a common book. No, you're just waiting on the new one. Amen. But see, with the word of God, it's eternal. 
The Bible is inexhaustible. That means you'll never reach the end of it. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is quick and powerful. Quick. Say quick. See, that word quick, it does not mean that it can, it can win a foot race. It's not talking about I can run from here to there and back real quick. It's not talking about that kind of quick. Okay? That word quick, it literally means alive. It's living. Okay? You know, ladies, whenever you've been cutting your fingernails and you ever cut down too deep, what happened? You cut into the what? The quick. That's the li- that means you cut into the part that's still living and you knew it. It told you. Ow! Okay, so that's what quick means. And then you want a scriptural example. Okay, well, the Bible says that God will judge between the quick and the who? And the dead. In other words, the living or the dead. Okay, so the word of God is quick. That means it's alive and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It never loses its edge. It never loses its relevancy. It never loses its impact. The word of God never loses its edge. The word of God is always relevant. No matter whether it's 32 A.D., Or 2019 in the 21st century. The word of God is always relevant. That's what it means when it says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It will never lose its edge. Now, you might lose your edge, but the word of God has not lost its edge. It's relevant for today. We don't have to change the Bible to fit our culture. The Bible is sharp enough that it can change the culture. Amen? Praise God. And if the culture and the Bible does not jive well together, it's not the word that needs to change. Amen. When you you understand that the Bible is a holy book, say a holy book. When you understand that the word of God is a holy book, that means that it's given by the inspiration of God. Because uh, the Apostle Paul goes on to say there in verse 16, uh, he says, all scriptures given by the inspiration of God. That's what makes the Bible a holy book. Amen. Amen. And so holiness indicates its origin, not just its content. Now, listen to this. I want you to write that down. Holiness is an indication of its origin, not its content. Because there are plenty of good moral people who are atheists that on the outside live according to a pattern that is in conformity with the word of God. But, you know, if they're not born again, Jesus isn't just after our politeness and our good manners and our morality, is he? So that alone does not make something holy. What makes something holy is is where it came from, not its contents. It's its origin. It's its source. Amen. And so Paul explains the holiness of the word of God as the scripture being inspired by God. It's inspired by God. Amen. And so uh, all scriptures given by the inspiration of God. And Paul goes on to say in verse 16, and it is profitable. Say the word of God is profitable to me. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, 
The Bible is good for you for, for correction when you need it. Amen. Now, let me read this to you out of the Passion Translation in a verse. Every scripture has been written by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. It will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take the right direction. Oh, man. Isn't that good? Giving you the strength to take the right direction. You see, your biggest problem isn't knowing what to do. Chances are you know exactly what you need to do. But the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, can strengthen you to take the right direction and to lead you into the path of godliness. How many know when you go on a journey, you don't just, once you decide to go to the destination, you don't just appear in that destination, do you? If you've been saved for a week, you know it ain't, a, it ain't no rapture. <laughs> Holiness, it ain't no rapture. <laughs> I mean, the more I learned about the Word of God, the more I find out I don't know. And the problem I knew I had when I was a baby Christian, those weren't even my problems. The problems were the things I didn't know that was wrong with me. So as I began to work on all those things, and this is going to set some people free, because as I began to trust the Holy Spirit to help me with all those things, all those issues, you know, um, all of a sudden, then he began to help me with the other things I didn't even know about. Amen. So listen, the Holy Spirit is not as put out with you as you are yourself many times. We think he's just going to be floored about this one issue in your life. He's just trying to get you to a place where he can work on that thing you don't even know about yet. Because uh, many times because of ignorance, we don't know what's hindering us, what's stopping us. And, and listen, I'm not even talking about the major obvious sin, the sins or the obvious things that are wrong. You know, many times just wrong thinking can keep you from your destiny. Amen. And so Jesus is not trying to get us holy overnight. In other words, without fault, without weakness, without sin overnight. I mean, this is a journey. This is a journey. Amen. And when we walk with him, and we walk in the light as he is in the light. The Bible says that we will grow in him. Amen. In the, the, the passage again, it says, uh, giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you into the path of godliness. So godliness is a path before it's a destination. Amen. Pastor, I just know I should be so much further along than I am right now. Join the club. Come on. Just say, you know what? He's working on me still. Praise the Lord. Amen. He's not judging one sin as worse than another. I mean, outwardly, you know what I'm saying? I mean, the sins that he's going to judge first are the sins of the heart. You know, you can have your heart right and outward things be not quite right, be wrong, but he's still going to work with you if your heart's right. Whereas a person who has all the outward things going for him, but their heart isn't right, the Bible says God resists the proud. What the, what the Bible calls the proud is the self-righteous, arrogant believers. Come on. 
It says he resists the proud. What that word resist means is, have you ever heard the term to stiff arm someone? You're not allowing them to get close. He, God stiff arms the proud because they think they deserve to be in his presence. And if, oh, if God ever allowed the self-righteous into his presence, then he's sending a message to others that they have to conform to that person and be like that person before they can qualify to come in. And that's not the message of grace. So if God ever allowed a self-righteous person to come in to God's presence and receive from God, then he is uh, uh, doing away with the message of grace. And what the price of the blood of Jesus came to bring all of us is that it's not of works lest any man should boast, but it's by the sheer grace and the mercy of God that we can enter in. Amen. Praise God, because he is faithful, not because we are faithful. Amen. I'm so thankful for Jesus. Amen. So the scripture teaches that he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, you don't have to be perfect. All you got to do is be humble and acknowledge it. Own up to it. Amen. When you blow it, own up to it. Call it what it is. That's humility. Pride tries to cover it up and uh, lessen it. It tries to downplay it. Well, Lord, I did this. We call it confession. Well, Lord, I did this. But the reason why was because you know how hard it is to be with this person. You know how hard it is to work in this uh, workplace. You, you, you know what I've been struggling with and what I've been dealing with, Lord. And so really, we're not repenting, are we? We're just telling God a good reason why we did what we did. So give me a break. Confession is not asking God to give you a break. God gave you a break through Christ Jesus, through his shed blood, not by a price that you paid, but by the price that Jesus paid. And you enter into that when you come clean. Did, listen, if you will come clean, the blood of Jesus will clean you. Amen. But the blood of Jesus can only clean what you put on the table. The blood of Jesus can only cleanse what you're transparent about. That's why confession for the believer is so important. Because the blood of Jesus can only cleanse what you are transparent about. And the reason it's so important to be transparent is because that takes humility. God gives grace to the humble. Amen. I don't want my rights. I don't have any. My right is to go to hell. The wages of sin is what? Death. That's my right. Do you want your right? Listen, as the believer, you don't get what you deserve, and that will make you happy. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So it takes humility to acknowledge that you missed it, that you've done wrong. And you say, God, and you have to call it what the Bible calls it. Don't say my, this, little, this weakness here, this struggle, you know, this, this, uh, this thing, you know. No, find out what the Bible calls it. Lust. Come on. Uh, it, it calls it a liar. It calls it murder. Pastor, I ain't murdered nobody. You ever hated anybody? Jesus said, if you hate your brother, in your heart you've murdered him. So how, that's how you confess the word. If you will do 1 John 1, 9, like it instructs you to do it, there will come a tangible to your soul. When I say tangible, it'll be so spiritually real, you will think that you're feeling it. 
you, you won't even be able to tell the difference. And then it probably will result in a feeling. But when you do first John one nine like you're supposed to, it will open up the cleansing for the blood of Jesus to come in for you and you call it what it is. Amen. Praise the Lord. So my goal is not to become perfect. That's going to cause me to minimize my sin because I want to believe I actually did better than I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? Listen, I just want to I just want to be under that cleansing flow. On the path to holiness. Well, that must have been for somebody because I didn't plan on getting into all that. But praise God for the word. Amen. In verse 17, in the passion says, then you will be God's servant, fully mature and perfectly prepared to fulfill any assignment God gives you. Now, notice this is not at the destination of godliness. This is on the path to godliness that God will consider you his servant. And you could become fully mature and perfect, prepared to fulfill any assignment God gives you, even on the path to godliness. But on the path to godliness, if you maintain a humble spirit, God will continue to treat you as if you were perfect. Amen. Glory to God. Now, this word perfect does not mean without flaw. It means to be complete. The best example, the best natural example I know how to how to um, explain it to you is with a fruit. OK, um, you know, I, I suppose some apples are supposed to be green, but most of them aren't. When most apples are green, that means they ain't ready to eat yet, right? Or if a banana is real green, you're not supposed to eat it yet, are you? Okay, but did you know that just like there are different stages of human growth, there are different stages of fruit and vegetable growth. Okay, now, with an apple that's green, it's not ripe yet. Okay, if you were to look at a perfectly ripe apple big bright red apple you would think this apple's perfect but the green apple's not perfect but that's not true because the green apple could not be expected to be anything else but green in the stage that it was in so that green apple is perfect in its stage so i don't think i got too many green apples in here this morning don't look at nobody either <laughs> but, you know, in different areas, you might be more ripe in some areas than you are in other areas because Galatians 5.22, and then I think it goes into 23 a little bit, it talks about the nine fruit of the Holy Spirit. Okay, these are all, now, you know, some of us, we might have that patience operating a little better than we have the mercy. You know what I'm saying? Some people are stronger in some areas than others, or they have fruit that's more developed in some areas than others. Amen. Whatever growth you are in, in those fruit of the Spirit, you are perfect in that stage of growth. Praise God. God's not treating me like He expects me to be at the destination. He, he's, he's treating me like I'm on the path, because that's where we're at. Amen. We're growing up in Him. Amen. There is life in the scriptures. So that's why this morning I want to just encourage you, you know, purpose not to treat the word of God like a common book. The Bible is the only book you can read from cover to cover and still not be finished with it. You're going to get stuff out of it um, for the rest of your life and throughout eternity. Amen. One passage has an eternity revelation in it. Amen. In Matthew 4, verse 4, 
Jesus said when he was being tempted of the devil in the wilderness, when the devil tempted him to turn that those stones into bread. Do you remember that? And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so we, we get our life from the word. In Job 23, verses 11 and 12, Job said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. In other words, he said, I would rather go without eating physical food than to go without feeding upon the word of God. Amen. In Psalm 119, verse 62, excuse me, 119, verse 162, it says, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil or like a hidden or lost treasure. Can you imagine how these divers feel when they find these old pirate ships from 500 years ago or whatever? And uh, or uh, an old uh, uh, Mexican ship that maybe sunk that was known for having a lot of gold in it or something. And hundreds of years later, you know, they, these divers locate it through technology. You know, they're able to find uh, a shape of a ship at the bottom of the ocean and go down there and dive. And, and can you imagine the thrill of finding that that lost treasure? Right. The English says, because they bring happiness like treasures taken in war. Amen. Praise God. The word of God ought to thrill you when you hear it. Proverbs 13, verse 13 says, Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed, but he that fears the commandment shall be rewarded. And this word despise, it can mean a communication that indicates lack of respect by patronizing the recipient. Let me say that again. To despise something means, do you know what the word patronize means? It's like, don't patronize me. Don't, you know, belittle me by a compliment. It is not a genuine compliment. Um, it's a communication that indicates lack of respect by patronizing the recipient. In other words, to speak in favor of something or someone with disrespectful undertones. Many times we do that with the word of God. We would never say, I hate the word. We think of despise as like, get that out of my house, right? But that's not what the Bible definition for despise is when you go back to the Hebrew. It simply means a disrespectful undertone, but what you said may be favorable, but it's with a disrespectful undertone. Okay, how about this? Oh, yeah, I know all about the Bible. It's a good book. Have you ever heard anybody say that when you tried to minister to them the word and tell them about the Lord? I believe the Bible, man. It's a good book. Well, obviously you don't think it's that good or you'd be, <laughs> you'd be doing it, you know. But, um, or, you know, and people that come to church all the time. Now, I've heard that message before. That's, that's what the Bible calls despising the word. To speak highly of it but in a disrespectful undertone. I've heard that before. Well, David said, I rejoice over your word like one that finds a great spoil. Amen. And so, hey, listen to this, because a spoil, I, I compared it to a lost treasure, but really a spoil is not a lost treasure. A spoil is something that is taken in war. A spoil is something, in other words, to get what God's promised you, there's going to be a fight for it. Brother Hagin used to always say the blessings of God, the promises of God, they're not going to just fall on you like ripe cherries off a tree. I love that. David said, I rejoice over thy word as one that finds a great spoil. In other words, some of these things, they're not going to come to you without a fight. 
And you've got to be willing to fight. And the Bible says that through him we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Praise God. And so, uh, just in closing, we should not treat the Word of God as a common book. Uh, a couple quotes from E.W. Kenyon. When believers treat the Word of God like a common book, it is the reason the adversary has no trouble in overthrowing the believer in a crisis. Uh, E.W. Kenyon also said, he is a spiritual hitchhiker, always depending upon someone else's prayers, someone else's wisdom, and someone else's interpretation of the Word. Hey, he might get some places, but somebody else brought him. I'm, I'm gonna, the reason I asked for that five minutes, that's going to start right now, okay? <laughs> Here's the reason why no human being would have ever written a book with standards as high as the Word of God. You ready? Reason one, no lazy person would have ever written a Bible. Because Proverbs 10, 4 and 5 says, he becomes poor that deals with the slack hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. In 2 Thessalonians 3.10, it says, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So if you're not working, and you're not looking for a job, and you're hungry, you're being very scriptural. <laughs> it is scriptural for lazy people to go hungry. Oh, <laughs> Number two, no wife would have ever written the Bible. Ephesians 5.24 says, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Don't worry, I'm getting to number three. <laughs> no husband would have ever written the Bible. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. But pastor, you don't know my wife. Well, don't you know Jesus knew the church? Don't you know he knew you? He just kept right on loving you, didn't he? Kept right on being merciful. I heard Brother Copeland say it this way. He said, men, he said, you apologize even if you were right. <laughs> Get that stuff out. Amen. What husband would have wrote that, you know? <laughs> well, I love my wife, you know. I love chocolate ice cream, too. No, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You get a revelation. You think you know what Christ's love is? Study how he loved you first, and you'll get a revelation of how much you're lacking in it. Amen. <laughs> and what we should strive and believe for to grow into. Number four, no teenager. Are y'all teenagers yet? How many is the teenager over here? All right, teenagers in the room, listen to this. No teenager would have ever written the Bible because they'd have been too busy playing Fortnite. <laughs> no, that's not what I had in here. Uh, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is right. No, it didn't say because they was right. It didn't say because they were right. Obey them. It says obey them in the Lord because this is right. So it isn't about what they said, what they did. It's about obeying and honoring. And God can bless you and promote you just by your obedience, even when it wasn't fair at times. Parents aren't perfect. I'm sure Keith got a busting when he didn't need a busting. I'm still glad I gave it to him. It's for next time around. Oh, that one I missed. 
<laughs> and if I find out I was wrong, I'll say, bud, you know, you know, I, I judged too quick. I'm sorry, you know. But what does that do? I'm not trying to teach my kid that they should be perfect. I'm teaching them they should be humble. Amen. And they don't get a lot. Remember I bought that paddle? I only got to use it once on Kate, and it wasn't even me. Kathy got that one because I was gone. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, I can, I can send you the, the link on Amazon, man. Watch what you search for. <laughs> you search. <laughs> All right. No, no teenager would have ever written the Bible. Children, obey your parents on the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. You know, we ask after we discipline our kids many times, they know these verses. Do you want to live long on the earth? Do you want life to go well with you? Yes. Well, that's the reason why dad and mom have to discipline you. We don't like doing this. We want you to grow in Christ so he can bless you. Okay. Now, Proverbs 22, verse 15 says that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Listen, parents, you didn't put that there. They were born with that. Isaiah said, I was shaping in iniquity from my mother's womb. There was everything wrong with you that could be wrong with you when you was born because we were born out of Adam's lineage, which is a fallen race. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Okay, so remember when they said, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Jesus said, neither did this man sin, nor did his parents. In other words, it wasn't connected immediately to his family's uh, responsibility, but it went even further back than that, where the wages of sin is death, Paul says. Amen. And sin entered in the, into the world, Romans 5 teaches. Sin entered into the world, and death came by that sin. And uh, Romans also says, through one man's disobedience, death reigned over all. Even so, through the obedience of one, shall all reign unto righteousness through him. Amen. So that's why Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now listen to this. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Now, you know, no one is saying, let me sit down and write a book about how it's all right for you to whip me. You know what I mean? No, no child's going to write that. Right. OK. Uh, number five. No employee would have ever written the Bible because Colossians 322 out of the passion, it says that's 322 out of the passion. It says, let every employee listen well and follow the instructions of their employer, not just when their employers are watching and not in pretense, but faithful in all things. For we are to live our lives with pure hearts in the constant awe and wonder of our Lord God. I never did think about going to work as a spiritual experience, but <laughs> the Bible says it should be. In uh, 1 Peter 2.18 in the Passion says, Those who are servants or employees submit to the authority of those uh, who are over you, not only to those who are kind and gentle, but even to those who are hard and difficult. Verse 19 says in the Passion, You find God's favor by deciding to please God even when you endure hardships because of unjust suffering. You find God's favor. You know, that explains a lot to me. Because I've worked in some places, I thought, Lord, why do you got me here? He's trying to increase the favor on your life. He's trying to grow you. He's trying to mature you. Amen. You find God's favor by deciding to please God, even when you endure hardships because of unjust suffering. Number six, 
no employer would have ever written the Bible. In uh, Colossians 4.1, again in the message, or rather the passion, it says, Employers, treat your workers with equality and justice, as you know that you also have a Lord and Master in heaven who is watching you. Number seven, no corrupt, immoral person, murderer, or liar would have ever written the Bible. Why? Revelations 21 verse 8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, number eight, the disobedient yet religious person never would have written the Bible. Jesus said in John 5, 39, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are... Th that which testifies of me, and you will not come to me that you might have life. Uh, John eight thirty nine. they said unto Jesus, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would have done the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard from God. This did not Abraham. And then the 44th verse, he says, you are of your father the devil. And the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Number nine, the non-tither would not dare write the Bible. Malachi 3, 8 and 9 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. Say, wherein have we robbed you? In tithes and in offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Number ten. The tenth reason why no human being could have possibly written the Bible or would have possibly written the Bible. The self-righteous and proud would have never written the Bible. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, David prays to God, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See, David did not live a presumptuous life before God. He said, if there's anything wrong with me, please show it to me. And so David says, and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Verses 12 and 13. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Psalm 51.10 says, Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Only a person with a heart for God would know him as the author of the Bible. Praise the Lord. No human being would have ever written a book with such high standards as the Word of God has. Amen. Um, in Psalm 119, verse 133, in the basic English translation, it says, Let my steps be guided by your word, and let not sin have control over me. Verse 138 says, You have given your unchanging word in righteousness, and it is forever. And so when you recognize that the Bible is not just a normal, everyday book, it's not a novel, amen, it was written by the hands of men, but it was under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Men wrote the scriptures as they were moved and directed by the Holy Spirit. And when we recognize that it is a divine book, an eternal book, a living book, it can help us today. It's relevant for us today. Amen. Amen.